Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The new House Republican majority isn't wasting any time to begin its investigations. First up, the President of the United States. After two decades serving in leadership, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is stepping down. What are her next plans and who's in line to replace her? Arizona's Republican candidate for Governor Carrie Lake is 0.1% away from a recount and she's not backing down. Meanwhile, her opponent, Katie Hobbs, is preparing to take on the job. The Senate clears a hurdle for a same-sex marriage bill, how it could change daily life for religious folks, and reflections from a rabbi. Texas Governor Greg Abbott wants President Biden to reinstate a number of border policies that he had reversed. The governor sent a letter to Biden accusing him of creating a catastrophic situation at the border. And there's now going to be guaranteed income for transgender residents in San Francisco. It will last less than two years. We hear more from an attorney and former city supervisor. The Republican Party has won control of the House in the midterm elections. Based on projections by Decision Test HQ, the GOP has so far secured 219 seats as of this evening. 218 are needed for a majority. The Democratic Party has secured 209 seats and seven races are yet to be called. Republicans have been trying to retake control of the House since losing the 2018 midterms. The party controlling the House has considerable power. Heading into the new Congress in January, the GOP will be able to elect a new House Speaker, run every committee, and decide what bills come to the House floor. But it remains to be seen how much Republicans will be able to do with the razor-thin majority. Nevertheless, House Republicans announced today that they're going to investigate President Biden and his foreign business dealings. They say they want to make sure the president hasn't been compromised by any foreign governments. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. Committee Republicans have uncovered evidence of federal crimes committed by and to the benefit of members of the president's family. Representative James Comer announced today that the House Oversight Committee will investigate President Biden. They want to see if he was directly involved in his son Hunter's business deals and if the president is compromised. Committee Republicans have identified over 50 countries the Biden family sought businesses in. On the international side of the Biden family business, the deals were often led by Hunter Biden. That map there behind the play shows all the countries where the Bidens had a footprint in international business deals. According to Comer, a whistleblower revealed that President Biden was directly involved in Hunter's international business dealings, many of which raised red flags at U.S. banks. For example, if a transaction is suspected to be related to money laundering, fraud, or other types of criminal activity, the bank must file a suspicious activity report, or SAR, with the Treasury Department. According to media reports, the Biden family accumulated over 150 SARs. One SAR generated by an American bank to the Treasury Department connects Hunter Biden and his business associates to international human trafficking, among other illegal activities. But there's a catch to getting those suspicious activity reports. Under President Bush, under President Obama, and under President Trump, any committee in Congress could have access to those suspicious activity reports. But when Joe Biden became president, he changed the rules. 
And now, Congress is no longer able to access those reports. When the new Congress is sworn in in January, House Republicans hope to use their subpoena power to continue to pursue those bank records. Earlier in the month, Biden was asked what message he had for Republicans who might investigate his family. Lots of luck in your senior year, as my coach used to say. In a statement to CNN, the White House said the investigations are politically motivated, adding that instead of working with President Biden to address issues important to the American people, like lower costs, congressional Republicans' top priority is to go after President Biden with politically motivated attacks chock full of long debunked conspiracy theories. House Republicans also released a report that details the evidence they say shows that Biden personally participated in his family's business deals. It can be found at republicans-oversight.house.gov. Jason Perry, NTD News. And it's official. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi will be letting go of the gavel. Pelosi addressed her colleagues on the House floor this afternoon to break the news. NTD's Melina Weiskopf has more details. After leaving many guessing for months, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has finally revealed her future plans. In a highly anticipated speech on the House floor this afternoon, Pelosi reflected on her time serving as the Democrats' top leader, a position she's held for two decades. Now Pelosi says it's time to make way for a new generation to fill that role. And with great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. And I'm grateful that so many are ready and willing to shoulder this awesome responsibility. And Pelosi's decision comes in the wake of many members calling for new blood in the ranks of leadership. Those calls intensified ahead of midterms when many members who were in tight races were repeatedly criticizing leadership, calling for a new generation of leaders to fill the role. Now, Speaker Pelosi, although she's letting go of the gavel as speaker and stepping down from her leadership position, she will still continue to be the representative for San Francisco. For a while, there was the lingering question of who would fill this leadership role. Would it be the number two Democrat House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, who served in leadership since 2003, or would it be the number three Democrat, the whip James Clyburn? We, we got that answer today. Neither of them. The next likely contender is Representative Hakeem Jeffries from New York. He's a 52-year-old who currently serves as the chairman of the Democrat caucus. Now, he already has support from Whip Clyburn as well as the con uh, Congressional Black Caucus. So many are really pushing him to the front lines to take this position, although he today declined to say whether or not he would pursue that. Another possible contender is the, con the chairwoman of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, Congresswoman uh, Pramilia Jayapal. Democrats will take their official vote on leadership at the end of this month. Recent results show Arizona's Republican gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake has inched closer to an automatic recount. And Lake has vowed to keep fighting. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. With about 28,000 votes still uncounted in Arizona's gubernatorial race, Republican candidate Carrie Lake is one-tenth of a percent away from triggering a recount. Recent results show Democrat Katie Homs's lead has dropped from 0.8 to 0.6 percent. Under Arizona law, a recount triggers when the margin is less than or equal to 0.5 percent. Lake has vowed to keep fighting. 
Hey Arizona, Carrie Lake here. I wanted to reach out to you to let you know that I am still in this fight with you. Two days ago, U.S. media projected Democrat Katie Hobbs as the winner. Hobbs immediately declared victory. I am honored to stand before you as Governor-elect Katie Hobbs. But Lake hasn't conceded. In a video released Thursday on social media, Lake said her claims of a broken election system have been confirmed. When we called for Katie Hobbs to recuse herself over a year ago, they ridiculed us. It turns out we were right. The fox was guarding the hen house, and because of that, voters have been disenfranchised. Hobbs is currently the top election official in the state. As overseer of elections, Hobbs has several duties, including watching the counts and certifying the election results. And I'm not going to recuse myself from the job that the voters elected me to do. Throughout the race, Lake called for an overhaul of Arizona's election system, citing problems with voting machines. In the video, she says she was right to question the system. On election day, nearly half of all polling locations had problems with tabulating machines and printers. But Hobbs said on Wednesday in an interview with the Washington Post, the system doesn't need an overhaul. She said as governor, she wants to expand early voting and maybe mail ballots to all registered voters. Meanwhile, over in Colorado, the counting continues in the 64 counties that make up the third congressional district. The closely watched race between Republican incumbent Lauren Boebert and Democrat Adam Frisch is still too close to call. On Thursday morning, the Secretary of State's office had Boebert ahead by 1,103 votes. Colorado County clerks have until Friday to complete verification and counting of all ballots. With only a few thousand ballots remaining, a success for Boebert will strengthen the Republican majority win in the House. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. And over in Philadelphia, a Democratic consultant allegedly forged signatures to get his clients on the ballot for the primary elections in 2020. Now he's in custody. Pennsylvania's Attorney General Josh Shapiro announced the arrest yesterday. Rasheen Cruz, the Philadelphia political consultant, has been charged with criminal solicitation to commit forgery and theft by failure to make required disposition. Shapiro's office found that a number of candidates hired Cruz in 2019 to help them obtain the required number of signatures for their nominations. Investigators found over 1,000 duplicate signatures and many petition pages containing repeat names and addresses. Shapiro said in a statement, quote, This arrest is an important reminder that interfering with the integrity of our elections is a serious crime. The Senate on Wednesday voted to advance a bill that would repeal the Defense of Marriage Act and redefine marriage under federal law to include, among other things, same-sex unions. The bill would allow the Department of Justice to bring a civil action and establish a private right of action for violations. All 50 Democrats and 12 Republican senators voted to advance the bill in the 100-member Senate. But some are speaking out against it. Utah Senator Mike Lee warned yesterday that the Respect for Marriage Act would target people with religious convictions on same-sex marriage. And that's a concern shared by some leaders in U.S. faith communities. Earlier today, I spoke with Rabbi Yaakov Menken from the Coalition for Jewish Values to hear his perspective. Rabbi Yaakov Menken, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here with you. Now, the Respect for Marriage Act is working its way through the Senate. 
You have some concerns about this bill. Tell us about that. Well, un unfortunately, it seems like its passage at this point is pretty much a done deal because the vote for cloture yesterday required 60 of the senators to vote for it. Uh, and, and now it looks like it's sure to pass. And the problem is that it tramples on religious liberties. And we at Coalition for Jewish Values are very concerned about that. And the bill could have offered explicit protections for people and organizations wanting to operate according to the traditional definition of marriage, but it didn't. What could this mean for them if it's signed into law? It's really, unfortunately, it's offering uh, nice words about respect for other beliefs. Uh, but when Senator Mike Lee offered an amendment with robust religious liberty protections, they turned it down. They discarded it. The Democrats want a bill that will allow individual bad actors to go after religious organizations. What the law says is that anybody who's acting in lieu of the state or in a form, it means to say they're not necessarily an employee of the state, but look at, for example, private foster care agencies that have to operate under the aegis of the state in order to continue to function. We've already had these lawsuits here in America. This is a new venue for people to complain that if a foster care agency doesn't recognize their redefinition of marriage and their redefinition of what a couple is, that then they can sue that agency for discrimination. And the Constitution guarantees the free exercise of religion in the First Amendment. If this bill is signed into law, do you see a potential violation of the Constitution here? Uh, numerous, uh, because for us specifically as a Jewish community, and, and that's Coalition for Jewish Values, we represent over 2,000 American rabbis in American public policy. Uh, that's where our concerns lie, obviously, in the exercise, because the, the Jewish religion is a religion of practice. It's not just about how we pray in a house of worship, but what we're allowed to do in our business and in our regular practices. And here they're saying that if you're acting in, in terms of and anything under the aegis of the state, you can be accused of discrimination if you don't accept a redefinition of marriage, which obviously contradicts what we find in the Bible. People of all Orthodox religions say marriage is between a man and a woman. And this was the key argument against same-sex marriage from the outset, that it changes the definition of marriage. These days, the progressive movement is also trying to change the definition of man and of woman. What kind of effect do you think these alterations on definitions could have on people, the family, and society? If, if we actually take a look at the values that form a free and fair society, we understand why the Founding Fathers looked to the Bible for guidance. Because things like cherishing life and valuing peace over warfare, universal education, universal justice, balance of powers, even charity, these are all found and they're all biblical precepts. And of course, family as well is a biblical precept. You turn away from the Bible. These, a lot of these ideas are not actually new. There was all sorts of gay relationships in ancient Rome and ancient Greece, and the Bible helped people to turn away from that. Well, if the Bible is providing these foundational blocks for a free society and an open society, it's obvious that turning away from its guidance is going to be bad for humanity. 
What do you think followers of Orthodox religions can do to protect their traditional beliefs in this case? The, the first thing that we are faced with is that it's not just that they, the left, the progressive left, has gone away from these values. They call they, they, they their own people from 60 years ago. They call them bigots and racists. Uh, and by the way, go back far enough, and they're right because they were racists. But they take a whole series of sophisticated and biblical values, and they're deprecating them, and they're calling people bigots. They call us misogynist. They call us homophobic. They call they invented a new word, transphobic, in just the last few years to discuss a person who doesn't believe that a man belongs in a woman's changing room. I mean, this, these are common sense things. We should not accept that narrative. We should speak powerfully. We should be honest about what we believe and that our beliefs are better for society. Rabbi Yaakov Menken, Managing Director of Coalition for Jewish Values, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And now on immigration. Texas Governor Greg Abbott is asking President Biden to reinstate a number of border policies he had previously reversed. That's after the governor invoked the so-called invasion clauses in the U.S. and Texas constitutions. Texas Governor Greg Abbott on Wednesday sent a letter to the White House asking for more efforts to curb illegal immigration into the state. In the letter to President Biden, Abbott accuses him of ignoring the record high influx of illegal immigrants, which led to the border becoming what the governor called the deadliest land crossing in the world. He also asked Biden to reinstate border policies that the president eliminated when he first took office. We spoke with Todd Bensman, senior national security fellow with the Center for Immigration Studies. He says it's unlikely Biden will reinstate those policies, not even to gain votes in the 2024 election. The Democrats did very well in the midterm elections, despite the fact that the greatest mass migration crisis in the nation's history is underway. It has been underway for two years. Abbott's letter to Biden came after the governor on Tuesday invoked the so-called invasion clauses in the U.S. and Texas constitutions. Abbott says they give him authority to do things like deploy the National Guard, deploy gunboats, and more. According to Bensman, Abbott is already doing those things, so he's not sure why the governor is invoking the clauses. But Bensman says it could be because the governor wants to use the authority to turn back immigrants trying to cross the border illegally. If it's that he wants to start deporting immigrants on his own, it's not going to go anywhere. There's not, even if they were able to get immigrants to the Mexican side somehow, uh, they could just turn right around and come back. So just like they do with Title 42 now. Some House Republicans previously said they'd try to impeach Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas if they came to power, because they partly blame him for the influx of immigrants. Bensman says that's probably not going to happen. He added that they probably won't even try, since Senate Democrats wouldn't support the idea. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. And over to the West Coast, San Francisco is now offering a monthly income for low-income transgender residents. The new program will run for a year and a half, and recipients can spend the money on whatever they want. NTD's David Lamb spoke to an attorney and a former city supervisor to hear their perspectives on the program. San Francisco Mayor London Breed announced on Wednesday a new pilot program 
offering $1,200 of guaranteed monthly income to low-income transgender residents, known as the Guaranteed Income for Transgender People gift program. It will provide, quote, economically marginalized transgender people with unrestricted monthly guaranteed income as a way to combat poverty our most impacted community members face, according to GIFT's official website. Former San Francisco Supervisor Tony Hall shares his sentiments. That they, they keep coming up with all of these programs that are one of a kind to give San Francisco the exposure, which in turn helps them run for office. This is what they've been doing for the last couple of years, coming up with these programs that are discriminatory and they don't make good sense. According to a 2015 survey, 33% of trans Californians experienced poverty compared to the nation's 12% at the time. SF's pilot program is being run by the Transgender District, which was founded by three black transgender women, and Lion Martin Community Health Services in partnership with city and county departments. On the application, SF residents need to identify as transgender and make $600 or less in monthly income. They must also complete a survey every three months. One attorney shared his thoughts. The idea of helping low-income individuals is, is, is never a bad thing. I think the only thing that's controversial here is the fact that they've targeted the assistance to a particular group of people, and it's based on sex in, in large part. Uh, that means I could be tempted to uh, misrepresent that uh, the way I identify in terms of sex, just so I can get an extra $1,200 a month. You don't want that kind of temptation out there. This is San Francisco's third guaranteed income project so far. The effectiveness of these programs are still unclear. Axios reported that a similar program in Finland was viewed as a failure. That's because so many people were still unemployed after it ended. SF's program is set to run January 2023 to June 2024. David Lamb, NTD News, California. Coming up, a warning from North Korea. The communist regime says it will react to the U.S. with, with fiercer military responses. And in basketball news, the unconfirmed transfer of Brittany Griner to a Russian penal colony the U.S. State Department asking for answers. That and more coming up. On to another security threat. North Korea is using stronger rhetoric against the U.S. This comes while the regime fired another ballistic missile today. The North Korean regime warned on Thursday that it will have what it calls a fiercer military response to the U.S. The regime's foreign minister said in a statement, the keener the U.S. is on the bolstered offer of extended deterrence to its allies and the more they intensify provocative and bluffing military activities on the Korean peninsula and in the region, the fiercer military counteraction will be. It will pose a more serious, realistic, and inevitable threat to the U.S. and its vassal forces. It's referring to a summit on Sunday between the leaders of the U.S., South Korea, and Japan. During the meeting, the leaders condemned North Korea's missile launches this year. President Biden also reaffirmed a commitment to reinforce extended deterrence and defend the two Asian allies. Along with the statement on Thursday, North Korea also fired a short-range ballistic missile that landed in the Sea of Japan. 
The South Korean and U.S. militaries carried out missile defense drills in response. And the State Department condemned the launch, saying it posed a threat to North Korea's neighbors and the international community. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. Brittany Griner is now in a Russian penal colony. The WNBA star has arrived at the all-female penal settlement in the area of Mordovia, some 300 miles southeast of Moscow, according to a Reuters report. Now, this is the same region where American Paul Whelan has been serving a 16-year sentence after being convicted on espionage charges, charges he denies. A spokesperson for the U.S. State Department said, quote, the Russian Federation has still failed to provide any official notification for such a move of a U.S. citizen, which we strongly protest. Greiner was taken from the detention center in Moscow on November 4th to an undisclosed location after illegal options were exhausted. The two-time Olympian was convicted of drug possession charges back in August and was given a nine-year sentence. Her appeal was heard on October 25th, though it failed to reduce her sentence. And in baseball news, Aaron Judge's record-breaking 60-second home run ball is headed to auction later this month. The Texas resident who caught it told ESPN he's already turned down a $3 million offer. The record for most ever paid for a home run ball was the just over $3 million that Mark McGuire's 70th home run ball fetched back in 1998. Judge hit the home run on October 4th, the next to last day of the season, against the Texas Rangers in Arlington. And for your sports viewing this evening, an NBA triple header highlighted by the Nets, still without Kyrie Irving taking on the Trailblazers. Meanwhile, in the NHL, 26 of the 32 teams are in action tonight, including the red-hot New Jersey Devils, winners of 10 straight games, playing at the Toronto Maple Leafs. And finally, for you football fans, the Packers host the Titans on Thursday Night Football. And that's a wrap for sports. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.